First, a reading from Old Testament, Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys and other livestock, and any foreigners living among you. All your male and female servants must rest as you do. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. A second reading from the New Testament, Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She'd been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on these days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord replied, you hypocrites, each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This year, woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? This shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Evan. Uh, thank you all for being here. Uh, I'm going to stand. I think I'm going to try to stand up here from now on instead of down there because I heard a rumor that it's easier to see me up here. Uh, so I, I've always been able to rely on the privilege of being six foot three. But uh, recently, as of yesterday, actually, somebody told me they're like, dude, we can't see you when we're in the back. So I am now available to all of you. I can look deeply into all of your eyes. Uh, and when you're falling asleep, I know it. Uh, but grateful. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Evan. Appreciate you all. We're continuing our gospel series through the gospel of Luke, the spicy gospel. Uh, because in this gospel, Jesus says some of the wildest, spiciest things. I want to start here this morning, though. In 1963, in April 1963, Dr. King was arrested in Birmingham, Alabama, while supporting the, the civil rights work that was happening there. Though he was invited by local churches and the local civil rights workers, he was uninvited by the local white or white adjacent establishment who had him arrested where he spent eight days in jail in Birmingham. While Dr. King was in jail in Birmingham on April 12th, Good Friday of all days, Local clergy, both Christian and Jewish clergy, penned an op-ed for the local paper titled, A Call for Unity, wherein they criticized King's activism for being ill-timed, imprudent, and ultimately divisive. They said, 
We recognize the natural impatience of people who feel their hopes are slow in being realized. But we are convinced that these demonstrations are unwise and untimely. When Dr. King read the op-ed from his jail cell, he decided to respond in what has become known as the letter from Birmingham jail, which many of us uh, who grew up after that read as early as middle school a classic piece of American literature. The argument that black people should be more patient and things will get better and progress because we're America and we're that great was not new to Dr. King. Thus he said in it, for years now I have heard the word wait. It rings in the ears of every Negro with piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never. We must come to see with one of our distinguished jurists that justice too long delayed is justice denied. Of course, as an activist, Dr. King knew well that his argument was rooted in white people telling black people for years and years and years, just wait, it'll get better. As a clergyman, Dr. King knew, though, that his criticism of their argument was rooted in the biblical truth that God's liberation is breaking into our world today, not tomorrow, not next week, not in some mythological progressive future, today. After all, we don't get to set the timetable for God's liberating work. Today is the day of liberation, the writer of Hebrews said. In fact, in your Bibles, anytime you see the word salvation, that is a choice that is made to translate the word as salvation, it can also just as correctly be translated liberation. And I wonder how our theology might be different particularly in dominantly white settings, if we actually did translate it as liberation. Today is the day of liberation, the writer of Hebrews said, and it is exactly the point that Jesus is going to make in our story today. It begins with Jesus teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Two context clues in Luke that are telling us that there was about to be an argument. Anytime Jesus enters a synagogue, anytime it's the Sabbath day, and when those things are combined, we're about to have a fight. At the most basic level, the Jewish Sabbath commemorates the seventh day of creation in Genesis chapter 2, when God rests from all the work that God had done in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning... And all throughout Torah and the rest of the Old Testament, Sabbath was not, not a legalistic rule that people had to follow in order to go to heaven or earn God's favor. Sabbath was not a legalistic burden on the people. Sabbath was a gift originally intended to provide a day of rest 
and an economic resetting of everything from everyone from kings to the enslaved, from everyone from animals to the very land itself got to participate in the Sabbath. It was not only a day of merely ceasing your labor so that you could play video games. It was a day of reclaiming your life and the purpose for which God created us. It was a gift. Sabbath's original purpose was liberation from the grit and the grind of daily life and work. It was a weekly reminder that God desires us to be set free now. Every week, a reminder that God wants us to be set free. Now, I mentioned a few weeks ago that in first century Palestinian Judaism, this became more complicated. This is a setting in which Jesus lived and worked and walked and had relationships. The first century Palestinian Jews, as we know from the New Testament, were living under the thumb of the Roman Empire. And when someone feels like their cultural heritage is being snuffed out or threatened, they take certain symbols of that cultural heritage and they cling to them even more tightly. And so we can take rituals or sayings or we have people that will say, it's heritage, not hate, right? And all of a sudden, a flag becomes the symbol of someone's entire identity, when people feel like their heritage is threatened, they begin to cling to rituals or symbols or sayings fervently. And so ancient Jews took rituals, symbols, sayings, obedience to their religion and their religious stipulations very seriously. Not because they were trying to earn God's favor but because they wanted to communicate political solidarity, ethnic solidarity, cultural heritage and value in a world where those things were questioned. They wanted to show each other and show God that they were ready for God to send the Messiah so that they could finally throw off the shackle of the Romans. But in the pursuit of racial solidarity, in their pursuit of nationalistic devotion, they ended up taking things like Sabbath, which were intended as gifts, and they shackled them to their ideology. And thus they became shackles instead of ways of setting people free. This is the background when Jesus comes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he sees a woman that Luke describes as crippled by an evil spirit, she had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. Now, I, I want you to just notice two things about this, okay? First of all, we know from the rest of Luke that Luke does not assume, does not assume, does not, I need to be clear, does not assume that all disabilities or illnesses or disorders are caused by evil spirits. Luke is very open to the possibility that there are absolutely natural causes for why people get sick. However, he does indicate 
that this particular woman, that her physical reality is the result of an evil spirit. Number two, I want you to notice, though, that he does not attribute her illness or even the fact that she is being afflicted by an evil spirit. He does not attribute this to divine judgment. There is no statement here that she deserves this. In fact, this is the thematic tie between this story this week and you remember last story when they were talking to Jesus and they said, hey, Pilate killed all those worshipers and Jesus is like, do you think they deserved it? No, they didn't. And then he says to them, remember that tower that fell on those people? Do you think they deserved it? And he said, no, they didn't. The thematic tie is Luke does not assume that this woman is oppressed by an evil spirit because she has done something to deserve this. So Jesus is disabusing us of this left and right. Luke attributes it simply, her specific malady, to an evil spirit that Jesus will call satanic bondage. For 18 years, she has not only been shackled to the spiritual effects of this evil spirit, but, at, but she has also had to deal with people who, A, sometimes just straight up assume that she deserves this for something she has done, or B, ignore her altogether because her body and her experience does not seem to fit with the norm and it makes them uncomfortable and so they ignore her. Which is why two times Luke tells us that Jesus sees her. And not just see her in a glancing way, the Greek is actually he himself saw her. Now you'll notice the repetition of the pronoun. He himself saw her. Luke could have in Greek just as easily said he saw her. When, when the Greek repeats the pronoun like this, it is like if we were to use the italics font on our computer. He saw He sees her as a person of dignity and respect. And in truly seeing her, the first step is taking, taken to setting her free. Simply seeing this woman that other people overlooked is an act of liberation in itself before he ever does anything even to heal her. Seeing her as a human is an indicator that he will not wait for another day. Today is the day of liberation. When you see people as human, their liberation cannot wait. It is when we have decided that some people are less than human that we say, just wait a bit longer. Another indicator that he's not going to wait is that he invites her forward. The Greek here is not a command. He is not saying, get up here. 
It's an invitation, not like a master to a slave or a parent to a child. Rather, he sees her and he speaks her, speaks to her and considering her dignity and her will before acting, he invites her. I think there really is, I, I sat with this line and I really think there is something to this. Whereas some people might avoid seeing her altogether, the other response that you can have in overly religious settings is uh, people will often see persons with disabilities as objects or projects, which is just another way of robbing them of their humanity. Some of my friends with disabilities have told me that church can actually be really uncomfortable because people will sometimes touch them without their permission, sometimes even pray for them without asking them if they want to be prayed for. But part of honoring someone's dignity is not only seeing them as human, but seeing a human who has agency and choice and a will that they are allowed to express. And Jesus acknowledged all of this by inviting her forward. He acknowledged her, his acknowledgement of her agency by the simple invitation, the giving of a choice, sets her free in a world where she would not have been given a choice about many things. I say sets her free on purpose because though the NLT, which uh, Megan read, the NLT translates it, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. But the Greek is actually, dear woman, you are set free. And Jesus is going to come back to this language over and over. Though she is, and, and because though she is set free, though she stands up straight, and though she praises God for Jesus healing her, the synagogue leader doesn't want her to be set free. He would rather her remain in shackles. Why? See, we read these stories and we're just like, oh yeah, it's like, you know, this weird religious folks are being impressive again. Like, no, like, ask why. What world does it make sense for him to resist her healing? Understand, he is a human too. So understand, he must have some human motivation, whether it's rational or emotional or nationalistic, like whatever it is. Like, why does this matter to him? Well, you'll notice that his objection is not that she's healed. His objection is when she is healed. He says, there are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. Just listen, just just wait one more day. Just wait one more day. Your time for liberation will come. It's inappropriate for you to do this today. It's unwise. It's ill-timed. It's imprudent. Come tomorrow. Come another day. And we have to understand that Jesus' frustrated responses this. I feel like I have to do this work because just 
American Protestants, this is what we've grown up being taught. Jesus is frustrated with this, not because Jesus is against Judaism. Jesus is a Jew. He's not a Christian. He didn't start off trying to make a new religion. Everything Jesus is doing, Jesus sees firmly planted in Judaism. He's not, Jesus is not against Judaism, and Jesus is also not against Torah or the law. Again, Jesus is a good Jew. Jesus' frustrated response is for the same reason that Dr. King was frustrated as he sat in that jail cell. We don't get to set the timetable for God's liberating work. That's not the role we get to play. Today is the day of liberation, the day to be set free. Notice what Jesus said. This is where the set free is going to come back. Each of you works on the Sabbath, or each of you works on the Sabbath day. Wait, what? No, we don't. We don't work on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is the day of ceasing. Like we, we don't even take a cup from the bottom shelf and put it up on the top shelf. That's how serious we are about practicing Sabbath. How can you say that we work? Don't you untie slash set free your ox or your donkey from its stalls on the Sabbath and lead it out to water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years Isn't it right that she be set free even on the Sabbath? Now, notice the form of this argument. It is an argument from lesser to greater. If an animal, then definitely a daughter of Abraham. If an animal that's only been tied up for a few hours then definitely a person who has been hurting for 18 years. And if an animal on any day of the week, then definitely a human on any day of the week. Jesus points out not only that they have more commitments to the rules about Sabbath than they do the humans. Jesus points out that they have more empathy for their animals than they do for the humans in front of them. That's a word. That's a word, folks. Let me create some more distance and then we'll work closer to us. How about that? When they do this, they're not any different than the Greeks and the Romans. Last year when I read the Odyssey... I remember there was a story of Odysseus's men were on this island and there weren't any animals except for the sun god's cattle. And they were starving. And these were sacred cattle. They were forbidden from eating these cattle. But they got so hungry that they slaughtered the sun god's cattle and they ate them. And Zeus gets livid because they should have waited for some other day, for some other form of salvation, for some other food. And so Zeus kills all of Odysseus's men. And we would look at that and we'd be like, wow, that's pretty messed up. They, the, 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 the old Greeks and Romans thought sacred cattle was more important than humans. And yet, I'm going to take a step closer to home. 
Let me do it in a funny way first. I'm just going to keep inching until you feel it. Last night, my wife and I were watching the new Amazon series, Wheel of Time. Anybody? Wheel of Time watchers? No? Just, okay, thank you, Pelham's fellow nerds. And we watched the last episode of season two last night, and it's just this big, massive fight, right? And the humans are getting slaughtered left and right, and like, it's graphic, and it's like, oh, that's kind of gross, whatever. And then at some point, a dog gets killed. And my wife and I were both like, oh, the dog. Greg Abbott, to prevent migrant workers from entering in the southern border. Have you seen what he's done? Pick out, put out big floaties with razor blades on them so they can't cross the rivers. Most of us don't even blink. Can you imagine if dolphins got trapped in there? Can you imagine the outrage if dolphins got trapped in there? A few years ago, some of you, you might remember this. A few years ago, I was reading a New York Times story about a, an African-American man who's in Central Park in New York City he was bird watching. You remember this? And this white woman let her dog off the leash and the dog's running around. And he says to her, hey, you're actually supposed to have your dog on a leash. And she gets so salty about it that she escalates it and calls the police and claims that he's harassing her. And the entire time on all the footage, he's calm because he has to be. And she's losing it. Losing it to the point that her dog is now on a leash pulling and jerking and choking itself to get away from the stress and the drama and the anxiety. And I remember as the story was breaking, I know you sh the, 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 the popular wisdom is don't read the comment section on the internet. There's good reason for that. But you also get really good insight into the human heart when you read it. And I'm reading this story about this video, and there's a bunch of white people in the comments section screaming about the dog choking itself, seemingly oblivious to the fact that such phone calls like this and such encounters have historically been used to terrorize black communities all over America. Not thinking at all about the fact that this woman was able to use her outrage as a source of privilege, but if this man had become outraged, he would be dead. But sure, the dog's choking itself. Now listen, I'm not anti-dog. I have two dogs. I love dogs. Ever since I was a kid, reading Jack London stories, I cried when I read White Fang. I love dogs. But there is something backward 
about a world where we feel more empathy for our animals than we do the humans right in front of us. And the Bible indicates that when we get things backward like that, that usually there's some kind of idol in operation behind that. Jesus wanted to set this woman free, yes, from her spiritual-slash-physical ailment, but Jesus also, the whole point of the story, works to the climax of his encounter with this synagogue leader and all the people watching. The real point here is that God is wanting to liberate all of us, not just her. All of us from our idols and our ideologies that actually put humans behind Animals, humans underneath profit. Humans in submission to rules instead of rules in submission to life. Jesus wants to set us free from our idols, even the cuddly ones. Even the long-term ones. Jesus wants to heal us of the evils of our history and our present just as he was devoted to healing that woman who had been oppressed for 18 years. Time is no factor for Jesus. Today is always the day of liberation. Today, not tomorrow. This world, not the next one. The first time Jesus taught in the synagogue, do you remember what happened? He's at his hometown synagogue. What did he say? He said, I've come to set prisoners free. I've come to forgive debt. I've come to bring the good news of God's forgiveness. And I've come to bring a year of jubilee where basically economic systems would be reset. I've come to do all of those things. He walks over puts down the Torah scroll, and then he looks at them, and what does he say? Today, this prophecy is being fulfilled in your ears. Today is the day of liberation. For Jesus, setting people free from what shackles them is not something that can wait Through his death and his resurrection, God has already started setting the world free. We do not get to set the timetable for God's liberating work. Including God's liberating work in us. Today is the day of your liberation.